Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, I guess Donald Trump really is um, a little upset about Friday's indictment. 37 count indictment for mishandling secret, top secret, confidential, hush hush federal government documents at his uh, Mar-a-Lago estate. Tom? Mar-a-Lago? Yes. Um, Because in his um, reaction to the indictment, he called Special Prosecutor Jack Smith a deranged lunatic and a psycho. It's um, it's a kind of response to a an indictment that's sort of new to American public life, I think, denouncing the prosecutor in those kind of terms really does give it away that you're ticked off. You can't then play the, oh, just another indictment card. It, uh, the indictment and the change of venue for the upcoming trial to Florida was a uh, a sad blow to fans of funny names or names that are funny in a certain context because it meant the resignation of one of Trump's lawyers, Jim Trusty. Jim Trusty. We've we've lost him in this story. He's gone. He's resigned along with another attorney. They've been replaced by, I guess, Florida-based attorneys, which is actually probably a good idea. Hire guys who uh, are licensed in the state the trial's going to be held. Can't can't argue with that. I think Trustee was one of the attorneys who uh, tried to counsel Trump to be uh, respectful towards the prosecution and the uh, judge. Um, We'll see this Tuesday whether the former president wants to do some name-calling against the prosecutor in person. There's a balls check right there. And, of course, those more mathematically inclined are now reduced to trying to figure out in just what part of the upcoming presidential campaign the trial will end up being held. I can't show up for trial today. I'm late for a debate. Look forward to that. Hello, welcome to the show. Heart, but each time she withdrew, 
Everybody loves the sound of a train in the distance. Everybody thinks it's true. Everybody loves the sound of a train in the distance. Everybody thinks it's true. Eventually the boy and the girl get married Sure enough they have a son And though they both were occupied With the child she carried Disagreements had begun And in a while it just fell apart It wasn't hard to do Everybody loves the sound of a train in the distance Everybody thinks it's true Everybody loves the sound of a train in the distance Everybody thinks it's true Two disappointed believers Two people playing the game Negotiations and love songs are often mistaken for one and the same Now the man and the woman they remain in contact. Let us say it's for the child. With disagreements about the meaning of a marriage contract, conversations hard and wild. But from time to time he just makes her laugh. She cooks a meal or two. Everybody loves the sound of a train in the distance. Everybody thinks it's true. Everybody loves the sound of the train in the distance. Everybody thinks it's true. What is the point of this story? What information pertains? The thought that life could be better is woven.
I don't remember it ending that way. From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of a show called The Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly. What, what is the price of an abusive kiss by a predatory priest? How much should an unwanted fondle fetch to serve justice to the victim? These are questions raised by the Catholic Register, which reports that the legal system, specifically class action lawyers, have developed a grid, or as one Ontario lawyer calls it, a meat chart. It spells out the dollar value of abuse, like insurance companies codify the value of a lost thumb or the ability to walk. The chart has two distinct components. One section enumerates four levels of the sexual assault. The second section addresses the harms and effects, or the knock-on psychological harm or financial losses experienced by those who were assaulted. The valuations come into play now that the large class actions against dioceses and religious orders in Canada have reached a settlement. Damages are going to soon be distributed to the claimants. In April, a diocese in Quebec settled with victims of a laicized priest, Paul Andre Harvey, not Paul Harvey, for $13.7 million Canadian. Participants in the class action against the Archdiocese of Montreal will learn this week whether the 14.8 million Canadian settlement is approved by the courts. And in Nova Scotia, victims of historical sexual abuse in the Archdiocese of Halifax are being encouraged to come forward to register their claim in a $10 million Canadian suit. The gritty end game for a class action lawsuit arrives after the settlement has been approved, and an adjudicator, typically a retired judge, is tasked with divvying up the damages between individuals claimant, individual claimants sorry, in a cl- class action. In sexual abuse cases, the grid that links categories of assault to damages is used to assess who gets what. Each level is assigned a dollar amount. According to the notice of the class action settlement in Halifax, the first category of assault, non-consensual fondling, kissing, and sexual touching, is compensated by $30,000 Canadian. The fourth category, tantamount to rape, gets you $140,000. Only those who were subject to the highest two categories of sexual assault can apply for monetary damages. A harm and effect includes, quote, significant and lasting physical or psychological harm, including but not limited to a medically documented severe mental disorder requiring hospitalization, unquote, or, quote, a history of unemployability cumulatively in excess of three years, unquote. That'll get you $210,000 Canadian. Between the two kinds of damages, the largest possible payout to an individual in Halifax is $350,000. Assigning a dollar figure as compensation for such harrowing events, in many cases inflicted when the claimants were children, may seem a hollow kind of justice, says the Catholic Register. 
but the figures are arrived upon through a careful assessment of both previous settlements and the interests of the claimants. One of the reasons some lawyers are critical of the use of class actions in sexual abuse cases is the damages awarded, as you may gather from the figures I've shared with you just now, is that uh, the damages are considerably lower than what you get in an individual civil case. 2.6 million Canadian were awarded to uh, a man molested as a child who filed an individual civil case. But there are factors other than money, obviously. A class action provides what uh, one attorney in the field terms a trauma-informed process. What they get in return for less specificity of damages for an individual means they don't have to come forward, they don't have to be cross-examined, they don't have to put their name forward publicly, they don't have to go through open court. And, on a related subject, a support scheme set up for Church of England abuse survivors risks re-traumatizing victims, according to a report seen by the BBC. One man's dealings with the setup left him suicidal, says the report by the Church of England's Independent Safeguarding Board. Other survivors told the BBC they've been treated with contempt. The church's lead on abuse engagement has apologized to victims who've had a poor experience. The Brits set up an interim support scheme in uh, 2020 to support victims of abuse who are in urgent need of financial help. A couple months later, a landmark inquiry into child abuse within the Church of England concluded compensation should be paid to victims and survivors, but a full compensation scheme is yet to be created. To use the interim support scheme, a person must provide evidence that they're a survivor of church abuse and in need of financial help. Some victims have told the BBC they found it difficult because they don't want to have to re-engage with the church. One bishop told the BBC the church is trying to get it right. It's hard to hear the criticisms. Undoubtedly, we don't always hear well, said the Bishop of Birkenhead. News of the Godly, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now... A Waymo self-driving car has hit and killed a dog in San Francisco. It's a self-killing dog. The car was operating in autonomous mode with a test driver monitoring the vehicle from the driver's seat, according to the British Tech Journal the Register. Small dog ran in front of one of our vehicles with an autonomous specialist present in the driver's seat, and unfortunately, contact was made. That's the language from the company spokesperson. The investigation is ongoing. However, the inter initial review confirmed the system correctly identified the dog, which ran out from behind a parked vehicle, but was not able to avoid contact. We send our sincere condolences to the dog's owner. The trust and safety of the communities we're in is the most important thing to us, 
and we're continuing to look into this on our end, unquote, Waymo spokesperson. The death was disclosed in an autonomous vehicle collision report filed with the California DMV. The register understands the dog was off-leash, emerged from an encampment on the street. The test driver didn't see the dog approach due to obstructions. Well, let's get rid of those, shall we? Waymo says it has reviewed the event and determined it was not possible to avoid the collision. The company hasn't heard from the owner. According to State Farm, about 60,000 dogs are struck by motorists in the U.S. every year. Well, it's just like a good neighbor to tell you that. Asked uh, whether Waymo intends to provide log data so its account of the incident can be verified, the spokesperson said, We will work with local authorities if requested to provide relevant data through appropriate legal channels to ensure the privacy of individuals who may be impacted. The accident wasn't handled by San Francisco police. Officers from the local station responded to that area regarding a well-being check of a dog and did not locate evidence of a collision or an injured animal, according to an SFPD spokesperson. The company contends that Waymo Driver, as uh, the company calls its software and hardware, reduces injuries and fatalities where Waymo vehicles are allowed. In California, that would be... in portions of the cities of Los Altos, Los Altos Hills, Mountain View, Palo Alto, and Sunnyvale, as well as portions of L.A. County, including the cities of Inglewood, Los Angeles, and, uh-oh, Santa Monica. Those are the areas where Waymo has been granted an operating permit. It also operates in parts of Arizona. In January of this year, Waymo reported its robo-taxis had logged over 1 million miles of driverless rides without injuries. Human drivers might manage that, too. The rate of injury per million miles in 2020 was 0.79, according to data from the National Highway Transportation Safety Administrations. Robo-taxis have been blamed for numerous traffic snarls and for impeding public transit and emergency responders. Early this year, the San Francisco Municipal Transit Agency wrote a letter to the California Public Utilities Commission protesting against plans to let robo-taxis operate in San Francisco. Auto-taxis from GM Cruise were responsible for 92 incidents from uh, last May through December, according to the San Francisco officials. And Mercedes-Benz scored another self-driving victory. And on uh, Tesla's former home turf, well, this is also from the uh, register, because Mercedes was granted the first authorization in the state of California to sell or lease vehicles with an automated driving system to the public. Although with very strict restrictions. The permission slip was granted for Mercedes-Benz's drive pilot system. It's a level three automated system. That's a grid of um, categories from the Society of Automotive Engineers. Unlike Tesla's autopilot, which is level two, 
Level 3 vehicles can actually be classified as one that's doing the driving most of the time, although you still need to be behind the wheel. The Level 3 system is also able to react to unexpected situations, like dogs, with evasive maneuvers and braking, according to the Mercedes folks. If a driver doesn't take over when prompted, the car activates the hazard lights and slowly comes to a stop before making an emergency system call to let first responders know something's wrong. The uh, DMV is placing some serious restrictions on the system. It can only operate during the day on certain limited roads, only at speeds of up to 40 miles per hour. It'll be usable on uh, highways in the Bay Area, Central Valley, Los Angeles, Sacramento, and San Diego. The uh, permission excludes operation on city or country streets. Yeah, no, city or country streets in construction zones during heavy rain or heavy fog, on flooded roads and during weather conditions that are determined to impact performance of the self-driving thing. Tesla is often mum about the actual capabilities of its, quote, full self-driving, unquote, system. No mention of these SAE categories, level 2, level 3, so forth, uh, appear on its autopilot page. But uh, during a recall earlier this year of full self-driving cars from Tesla, it admits that its FSD beta is a level 2 driver support feature. According to Tesla, at that level, the driver is responsible for the operation of the vehicle whenever the feature is engaged and must constantly supervise the feature and intervene. That's why it's called fully self-driving. According to Consumer Reports, Tesla was the leader in the industry with these features, but has since slipped to the middle of the pack. One of the system's own engineers, that is, at Tesla, admitted a video reportedly demonstrating autopilot's fully self-driving capabilities was faked. Tesla has since confirmed it's being investigated by the Department of Justice over the fully self-driving feature, the hype surrounding it, and the deaths linked to the use of the system. It's a smart world. And in a related feature. Looks like must love. Twitter's new CEO, Linda Yaccarino, is uh, starting work early, weeks earlier than expected, in the wake of leadership resignations at the company. And on the same day, it was reported that Twitter's ad revenue is in trouble. She was originally scheduled, according to reports, to start work in July, according to the window that Musk gave last month. But uh, that was before Twitter's head of trust and safety resigned, followed by Twitter's head of brand safety and ad quality. That was followed shortly afterwards by another resignation in the same department, the uh, departure of Brand Safety Partnership Program Manager. 
Internal Twitter documents obtained by the New York Times reveal the poor state of the Musk-owned company's advertising revenue. In April, it was uh, 59% less than the same period last year. Twitter has regularly fallen short of its weekly sales projections on occasions by as much as 30%, indicating ad shortfalls have been regular. The documents and several Twitter employees at the time spoke to said they believed there's unlikely to be much improvement, quote, anytime soon. And, uh, of course, inquiries to the press department of Twitter got its usual response, a poo emoji. As you probably know by now, Musk himself has valued the company at less than half he paid for it, less than half the $44 billion he paid for it. Last week, investment firm Fidelity reported that its stake in the company had sunk to around a third of what it was worth prior to the entry of Elon Musk into the Twitterverse. Sounds like Musk love. And now, news of the warm, won't you? Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Human-caused global warming has continued to increase at an unprecedented rate since the last major assessment of the climate system published two years ago. So say 50 leading scientists. Are they climate scientists? Let's find out. One of the researchers said the analysis was a timely wake-up call that the pace and scale of climate action has been insufficient. It comes as climate experts are meeting in Bonn in Germany to prepare the ground for a major climate conference in the United Arab Emirates in December. That will include a, um, a report on progress towards keeping global warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade Celsius, sorry sorry Mr. Celsius Professor Peter, Peter Thorne Director of the Climate Research Center at Maynooth University I said Maynooth says it's critical that policymakers and the general public be made aware of how quickly we're changing the climate through our collective activities already since the IPCC International Panel on Climate Change assessment of the physical science basis in 2021. Key numbers have changed markedly, he says. We remain well off track globally to avert warming, warming above 1.5 degrees Celsius, unquote. Given the speed at which the global climate system is changing, the scientists argue that policymakers, climate negotiators, and civil society groups need to have access to up-to-date and robust scientific evidence on which to base their decisions. The uh, international, sorry, intergovernmental panel on climate change is the authoritative source of scientific data on the state of the climate. But the turnaround time for its major assessments is five or ten years. That creates an information gap, particularly when climate indicators are changing this rapidly. In an initiative by the University of Leeds with researchers from around the world, including Maynooth Director 
P Professor Peter Thorne, the scientists have de developed an open data, open science platform, the Indicators of Global Climate Change, and a website. It'll update information on key climate indicators from now on every year. Decisions made now will have an impact on how much temperatures will rise and the degree of severity of impacts we will see as a result, says Professor Piers Forster, director of the Climate Center Futures at Leeds University. Long-term warming rates are currently, he says, at a long-time high, caused by the highest-ever levels of greenhouse gas emissions. But, he says, there's evidence that the rate of increase in greenhouse gas emissions has slowed. That's good news. He adds, we need to be nimble-footed in the face of climate change. We need to change policy and approaches in the light of the latest evidence about the state of the climate system. Time is no longer on our side. All right. Better not tell the stones. <laughs> From New Orleans, this is Le Show, bidding farewell to us, true Gilberto. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's it's blizzard time in the crypto winter. Lots of crypto winter news this week. Binance has laid off a portion of its workforce. Its uh, market share continues to shrink in a shrinking market. A spokesman 
for uh, the exchange says we periodically review how we can best allocate our talent to the right teams with the right resources. This inevitably leads to letting go of some employees who might not be performing well or might not be the right cultural fit. The exchange declined to comment on the size of the cuts. Bybit, another crypto outfit, says it's always been Bybit's primary objective to operate our business in compliance with all relevant rules and regulations in Canada. In light of recent regulatory development, Bybit has made the difficult but necessary decision to pause the availability of our products and services. Yet another one today. This is uh, unbanked. Today we're making the unfortunate decision to wind down unbanked. When we started the company back in 2018, we knew blockchain was the best way to transmit value in the, before, in the form of cryptocurrencies or stablecoins, but it needed to be connected with the existing financial system for everyday use. That apparently didn't work out so well. U.S. Uh, federal prosecutors succeeded in a case involving a gentleman by the name of Reginald Fowler. A New York judge imposed an approximately six-year prison term on the convicted crypto fraudster. Is that a redundancy yet? Fowler's sentence stemmed from the fact that he evaded federal law by processing hundreds of millions of dollars of unregulated transactions on behalf of cryptocurrency exchanges as a shadow bank. That's according to the U.S. attorney. Well, he got a six-year prison term. The prosecutors were pushing for seven. Close. The bank fraud is tied to Fowler's time running Global Trading Solutions. He's a former co-minority owner of the Minnesota Vikings. He pleaded guilty in April to lying to banks in order to process more than $700 million in unregulated crypto transactions. Are there any regulated ones? Crypto firms must warn customers they should not expect protection if their investment goes wrong and introduce a cooling-off period for first-time investors under, under new rules imposed by the U.K. financial watchdog. That's the Financial Conduct Authority. This reported by The Guardian. The authority said that from uh, October, firms promoting crypto products or services would need to carry a clear risk warning in their advertising. What about in their um, naming rights? You have to say uh, crypto.com arena warning. The uh, Financial Conduct Authority said an example of such a notification would include telling customers they should not expect protection if something goes wrong and ought to be prepared to lose all the money you invest. Customers should be urged to take two minutes to learn more. The FCA added, companies advertising crypto assets, including cryptocurrencies, will need to offer a pause to new investors seeking to invest in their products. Bonuses for introducing friends to a crypto firm's products will be prohibited. The executive director of competition at the authority said consumers should understand the crypto industry remains largely unregulated with a lack of a safety net putting investors at risk of losing all their money. 
Quote, it's up to people to decide whether they buy crypto, but research shows many regret making a hasty decision. Research also shows estimated crypto ownership in the UK more than doubled in the last year, uh, or last the year before last, sorry. The watchdog, the FCA, has also warned that crypto asset fraud is on the rise. Reports of crypto scams climbing from 1,600 in 2019 to 6,300 in 2021, the last year for which figures are available. Brr. It's crypto winner. So, ladies and, ladies and gentlemen, back to the big news of the week, the 37-count indictment of Donald Trump regarding his treatment, his uh, handling of confidential documents that, according to federal law, don't belong to him, despite what he says. The um, interesting sort of subhead of the uh, news of the indictment came Friday with news that Donald Trump wasn't the only person indicted in this particular case. The uh, Friday indictment was targeted and only one count not 37, Uh, that one was targeted at Walt Nauta, who, you might ask, certainly not as well known as the lead target of the investigation. Walt Nauta has been variously described in uh, news reports as, when he was uh, in the White House, Donald Trump's valet, and in the last couple of years since the whole thing moved to uh, Mar-a-Lago, he is now described as Trump's body man. Just on the floor 
stuff about nukes, stuff about war. Body man, my body man, helping out however he can. He had my total trust, much more than just a body man. Lipped to a fault. That's why I never fired Walt. I've still got him in my money grip, hoping like hell that he doesn't flip. Body man, my body man, helping out however he can. He had my total trust, much more than just. Body man. Little news about the Olympic movement this week. The International Olympic Committee's executive board decided this week to recommend members vote to remove the credentials of the International Boxing Association, your IBA. The expected rubber stamp of a uh, decision will occur during an extraordinary. Olympic Committee session that will convene later this month. It's based on a report published at the beginning of this month that concluded the IBA failed to meet critical requirements set up by the Olympic Committee in a series of previous meetings. Quote, the situation has become so serious the only proportional conclusion is to withdraw the IOC's recognition of the IBA pursuant to the Olympic Charter. The IBA is not addressed to the satisfaction of the Olympic Committee. The ongoing concerns around its governance, financial transparency, and sustainability, and the integrity of its refereeing and judging processes. And as a result, the IBA should not organize the LA-28 Olympic Boxing Tournament. Boxing will still feature on the Paris Olympic Program, in a tur- tournament organized with oversight by the IOC, just as in Tokyo. It's, on- uh, it's also likely the sport will appear in L.A. and ongoing under new governance. Fist fight over fist fighting. Oversight commissioners lambasted the organizers of the 2020 Olympics for numerous bribery and bid-rigging scandals and leaving significant tasks to tackle related to governance. That's reporting from the Asahi Shimbun in Tokyo. The Audit and Inspection Commissioners of the Tokyo Metropolitan Government published their assessment in a report around 100 pages, along with a major bribery scandal, which we've discussed before here. The report described the alleged alleged bid rigging in connection with the Tokyo Games as regrettable. Between December 2020 and April 2023, The commissioners assessed the Tokyo Organizing Committee's operations on 10 topics, including organizational structure and the appropriateness of the procurement process. The assessment fell within the city auditor's realm because the Tokyo city government partially funded the organizing committee. A total of 15 people has been indicted in a series of corruption scandals related 
to the games. Because it's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. And now, the Apologies of the Week. After buying a yearbook from Northwest Career and Technical Academy in Las Vegas, Maria Azarpia, Azarpira noticed something was wrong or something was missing. Her son's name and picture. The exclusion was so hurtful she said she was crying after flipping through the yearbook. Honestly, it really broke my heart, she told the Las Vegas Review Journal. Her 22-year-old son is enrolled in Program Approach to Career Employment, known as PACE. It's a transition program for young adults who have special needs and have already earned an adjusted high school diploma. No one in his PACE class, about 10 students, was included in the yearbook. For Samir Azarpira, had the condition at birth called hydrocephalus, a buildup of cerebral spinal fluid in the brain. It's his uh, final year in the school district. The district said in a statement of the paper, the school yearbook historically features students in 9th through 12th grades. The school is reviewing the yearbook layout for future years to uh, consider the addition of members of the school community enrolled in pre- or post-graduation programs on campus. School principal Laura Willis apologized in an email to Mariella Azarpira for the admission of PACE students from the yearbook. It's unfortunate that we fail to represent all that they do and bring to our campus, Willis wrote. There are no excuses, just human error. I will ensure this does not happen in the future. Unquote. Willis offered a refund for the purchase of the yearbook. Please note, we love all of our kids, she wrote, especially our young adults. Another education-related apology, Deadline Napanee, Indiana, Northwood graduating senior, was briefly denied his high school diploma because he wore a Marine Corps sash on the graduation stage. An outraged sister of his posted the offense to her brother, Wesley, on uh, Facebook, riling up the Napanee community. He didn't have his moment, she said. His family said it tarnished his graduation night. This should never happen to anybody that goes to the military, said his dad. He's going into the Marines. The boy, Wesley, well, he's 22, he's a young man. He uh, was sworn in last November. When he first asked for permission to wear the sash, it was granted. It was withheld two or three minutes before the kids went on stage for the ceremony. That's when he was told he couldn't wear it. He asked the principal when he went on stage if he could put the sash on for his photo. The principal, Weston Lambert, agreed. But then he went to the band room to pick up his diploma when a teacher pulled him aside. He's like, my actions have consequences. I have to come back Monday, talk to the principal to get my diploma back. I, he had to walk out with shame, said his sister. I don't have my diploma. Everyone's like, what? On a graduation night, the principal tried to make things right. He called Wesley's parents and delivered it to them. The parents say they want an in-person apology 
from the school and maybe disciplinary action for the teacher that berated Wesley. On behalf of our school system, said the school superintendent, I apologize to Wesley and his family for the confusion. We're extremely grateful for their sacrifice and his future service. He leaves for boot camp in August. The young man, not the school superintendent. Just wanted to avoid the confusion there. Fox News anchor John Roberts issued an apology after making a joke about former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie's weight during a newscast, sorry, a broadcast on Fox. Following a panel discussion on Christie jumping into the growing GOP primary field uh, for president, Roberts offered an, an analogy that ended with a quip about Christie's physical appearance. Quote, we wonder about the net effect on the race, and to use a modification of metaphor we were using on the panel earlier today, it's like you have two milkshakes, right? If the Republican Party is two milkshakes, and this one representing almost half the party, because that's what the polling shows, has got one straw in it, and that's Donald Trump's straw, Robert said, sparking nervous smiles from the other members of the panel. And the other milkshake, which represents the non-Trump part of the party, has how many straws in it now? And now we're going to have Chris Christie in there, and judging by Chris Christie's physical stature, he could drink a lot of that milkshake if he wanted to. But you're not affecting the Donald Trump milkshake. You're just affecting the other part, unquote John Roberts. Later, he apologized. I just want to take a moment to address something because I really do feel terrible about it. Earlier on the show, I was making an analogy to describe the Republican voter pool. And I made a comment that I meant to be lighthearted, but he immediately realized it was hurtful toward Governor Christie. I should not have said what I said. I deeply regret it, and I sincerely apologize to Governor Fatso. <laughs> to the governor. Unquote. John Roberts. Except for the interpolation. Chris licked a day before he uh, ankled from CNN, apologized to the staff of uh, CNN during a Monday morning editorial call for the first time since that devastating feature on him, Licht, was published in The Atlantic a week ago Friday. He reportedly told his staff, quote, I know these past few days have been very hard for this group, and I fully recognize that this new cycle and my role in it have overshadowed the incredible week of reporting we just had and distracted from the work of every single journalist in this organization and for that i'm sorry unquote chris licked who skedaddled out moments later well i think a day or two two apologetic lawyers responding to an angry judge in manhattan federal court blamed chat gpt for tricking them into including fictitious legal research in a court filing, attorneys Stephen Schwartz and Peter LaDuca are facing possible punishment over a filing in a lawsuit against an airline that included references to past court cases that Schwartz thought were real, but were made up by the chatbot. He explained he used the groundbreaking program as he hunted for legal precedents supporting a client's case against the Colombian airline Avianca for an injury that occurred on a 2019 flight. The chatbot suggested several cases involving aviation mishaps, 
Schwartz hadn't been able to find them through the usual methods used at his law firm. The problem was several of those cases weren't real or involved airlines that didn't exist. Schwartz told the judge that he was operating under a misconception that this website was obtaining these cases from some source I did not have access to. He said he failed miserably at doing follow-up research to ensure the citations were correct. I did not comprehend that chat GPT could fabricate cases, Schwartz said. The judge seemed both baffled and disturbed at the unusual occurrence and disappointed the lawyers did not act quickly to correct the bonus Sorry, the bogus legal citations when they were first alerted to the problem by the lawyers for Avianca. When the judge finished his rather perturbed questioning, he asked Schwartz, the, le- the lawyer, if he had anything else to say. Quote, I would like to sincerely apologize, said Schwartz. He said he'd felt, suffered personally and professionally as a result of the blunder and felt, quote, embarrassed, humiliated, and extremely remorseful, unquote. That's not the name of the law firm, by the way. Now, going overseas, the the head of Britain's biggest police department, Dateline London, has apologized for the force's past treatment of the LGBTQ plus community. That's a move that one human rights activist called a groundbreaking acknowledgement that would help build confidence in law enforcement. The statement from Metropolitan Police Commissioner Mark Rowley came after a gay rights activist launched a campaign calling for all police departments in Britain to apologize for past homophobic witch hunts, which continued even after Britain decriminalized private sexual acts between men way back in 1967. In a letter to the activist, Rowley acknowledged the way in which the police enforced the law, quote, failed the community and persists in the collective memory of LGBT plus Londoners of all ages. Recent cases of appalling behavior by some officers have revealed there are still racists, misogynists, homophobes, and transphobes in the organization. We have already doubled down on rooting out those who corrupt and abused their position. Unquote. Rowley, who became commissioner of London's Met Police Service last September, pledging to reform a department that had been rocked by a series of scandals including the arrest of a serving officer for the kidnap and killing of a young woman. In March, the police apologized after an independent review found the department had lost the confidence of the public because of deep-seated racism, misogyny, and homophobia. Says Rowley, I'm sorry to all the communities we've let down for the failings of the past and look forward to building a new Met for London, one all Londoners can be proud of, and in which they can have confidence, unquote. And London's Natural History Museum has issued an apology for renting out its building for a right-wing nonprofit called National Conservatism, which has drawn criticism for its extreme views on immigration, religion, and climate change. Rented out for a gala last month. They're not putting the gay in gala. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, the copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's edition of the show. Back next week, same time on these same radio stations, time of your choice on your audio device of choice. And it'd be just like Donald Trump showing up in court, if you would agree to be with me then. We do already. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, the Hawaii desk, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans for help for today's program. The email address for this program, your chance to get... What are those called again? Cars I Talk t-shirts? And so much more to read, to watch, to listen to, to put on uh, some crazy-looking headset and immerse yourself in, maybe? All at harryshearer.com. And yes, still, I'm on Twitter. At the Harry Shearer. show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions. It originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City.